Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, when you think about the objections to Christianity, what are the top three objections do you think people have today about Christianity? It seems to me that the top three are morality, morality, and morality. The longer I'm doing this, the more I go to college campuses, and the more I see what's going on with progressive Christianity and even atheists who are criticizing Christianity, they all seem to do it on moral grounds. They all seem to be saying, well, the God of the Bible is evil, or we don't like the Bible stance on LGBTQ, or the atonement is divine child abuse, or uh, what about those that have never heard, or how can Jesus be the only way, or there's too much evil in the world. These are all moral questions, ladies and gentlemen, and they all assume a moral standard. I want to talk about one of these issues we haven't spoken of in a while, and that is, how can Jesus be the only way? Doesn't that make God somehow immoral? I mean, there are so many people out there that have never heard of Jesus. So if God truly is loving, wouldn't he want to save those people? And what about people who are sincere from other religions? Aren't they going to be saved as well? Well, these are good questions, but they're all laden with morality. They're assuming a certain moral standard, and they're also assuming that God has some sort of obligation uh, to human beings to try and save them, and if he doesn't, somehow he's immoral. Before we unpack this, let's just point out that every worldview uh, believes that they are right about the way to salvation. It's not just Christianity. Christianity does give you a choice, ultimately. You can either be with Jesus or not with Jesus. You can either be with Jesus in heaven or you can be separated from him in hell. He who, do, he who does not have the Son does not have life, John says in 1 John 5, 12. Salvation is by grace, but you have a choice. You can either be with Jesus or not be with Jesus. It's up to you. I remember being asked by a atheist in a debate once uh, about his uh, mother who lived a life full of pain and suffering. She was a survivor of the Holocaust. And he said to me during the debate, he said, my mother was a survivor of the Holocaust toward the end of his or end of her life. Someone offered her the gospel, she rejected it, and then she died. Is she in hell right now? And so I said to him, Eddie, his name was Eddie Tabash, Eddie, I don't know where your mother is now. I don't know if she had a deathbed conversion. But if she didn't accept Christ before she died, then God is too loving to force her into heaven against her will. You see, what's the assumption behind heaven and hell. Well, everyone wants to go to heaven. Well, that is not true. Who's in heaven? Jesus is in heaven. Well, there have been people running their entire lives or their entire lives 
running from Jesus, what's he going to do in the afterlife? Is he going to say, hey, where are you going? You're with me now. Well, that wouldn't be right. Look, there's only two possibilities. If God exists and there is an afterlife, there's only two possibilities. You're either going to be with God in the afterlife or you're going to be separated from God in the afterlife. Heaven is to be with God. Hell is to be separated from God. Now, obviously, there are implications, or I should say there are uh, characteristics of these two places. One, if you want to be with Jesus, you will enjoy. The other, if you don't want to be with Jesus, you won't enjoy. You'll be punished for your sin, not just because you haven't believed in Jesus. You don't go to hell just because you don't believe in Jesus. You go to hell because you've sinned. It would be like saying, I died, or, or, you, you, or it would be like saying someone died because they didn't go to the doctor. No, the reason they died is because they had a disease. Now, maybe they could have prevented death by going to a doctor, but the reason that they died is because they had a disease. And the same thing is true when it comes to ultimate, our ultimate destination. You, you go to hell not just because you don't believe in Jesus. You go to hell because you've sinned. Now, you could have prevented going to hell by trusting in Jesus, according to Christian theology. But the real reason you're going to hell is because you've sinned. Now, one sin, of course, is rejecting God, rejecting his Messiah, rejecting the Savior. But you would have gone to hell otherwise because you have other sins that... You have committed, and we'll see why God is the only way or Jesus is the only way here in just a few minutes when I get into it. The only point I'm making now is if God exists and if there is an afterlife, there's logically only two possibilities. You're going to be with God in the afterlife or separated from him. Now, Islam is just as narrow when it comes to these issues as Christianity is. They do give you a choice as well, or Islam does. You're either going to paradise or hellfire. According to Surah 5, verse 88, unbelievers will be inmates of hellfire. But salvation is not by grace, it's by works or jihad. The only way you can be assured of going to paradise is if you commit jihad in the name of Allah. You're guaranteed then a ticket to paradise. Otherwise, you don't really know. Allah is a bit arbitrary. He may, uh, he may decide at the last minute you've done enough. Or you may decide, no, you haven't, and you're going to hellfire. Hinduism doesn't give you a choice. Everyone is subject to the law of karma and trapped in reincarnations or ultimate absorption into Brahman. Same thing is true with Buddhism. You don't have a choice either. Everyone is subject to the law of karma and you're trapped in re reincarnations or, or until you ultimately ex extinguish yourself, which is nirvana. Atheism, you don't have a choice either. Everyone will cease to exist. Pluralism, the idea that everyone's going to heaven, they don't give you a choice either. It's compulsory heaven for everyone. Except maybe Hitler, Stalin, and, uh, and Christians. So everyone is narrow in what they think about the afterlife. Even somebody who says um, nobody can really know what whether or not there's an afterlife and how you get there, they think they're right about that. You see, everybody thinks they're right about the afterlife. The only question is, what is the right view? What is the right view? Well, obviously we talk a lot about in this program as to why Christianity is true. 
so we're not going to give an apologetic for why Christianity is true. You can listen to other programs or get any of the any of the books that we've had a part in. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist stealing from God, something like that. I just want to point out that everybody is narrow in their in their assessment of the afterlife. Everyone thinks they're correct about it. Everybody thinks that anybody who disagrees with them is wrong, even the pluralist. Because the pluralist believes everyone's going to heaven. If someone comes along and says, no, I don't think everyone goes to heaven, they're going to say, you're wrong about that. Do you see? Everybody is narrow. That's just, that's just the way truth is, by the way. Truth negates its opposite. Two plus two equals four. It's a narrow answer, but it's a true answer. Every answer other than four is wrong. But why would God... Or why would Jesus say, I am the only way? Jesus famously said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Why would he say such a thing? Well, before we go there, let's talk about a passage a lot of people quote. And uh, they quote it as if God's uh, knowledge is so much higher than ours that we really can't figure out some of the mysterious things of God. Now, that statement actually is true. But the passage that people use to support that idea is not used properly. Here's the passage that many of you have heard. It comes from, I think it's Isaiah 55. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is the Lord speaking. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now, a lot of people say, well, yeah, uh, you know, God just knows a lot more than we know. And, and uh, we just have to take these mysteries uh, by faith and trust God. That's not what this passage is speaking. Why? Because if you look at the context of the passage, if you just back up a verse you realize God's not talking about knowledge. He's talking about morality when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Just go back a verse. It says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. You see, he's referring to the thoughts that he has, that God has, which are pure, Versus our thoughts, which are impure or evil. He's referring to his ways, which are good and right, and our ways, which are not good and right. And then the next verse says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in context, what this means is, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so is my morality higher than your morality. So is my behavior higher than your behavior. Well, just how much higher are the heavens than the earth? Or how high are the heavens above the earth? You've heard me talk about this maybe in other contexts. But when the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, it's trying to point out 
that when you look to the heavens, you should get some idea of the awesome majesty of the Creator. And when you look to the heavens, you realize, if the estimates are correct, that God is nearly beyond comprehension in terms of his attributes. Because scientists have estimated that the number of stars in the universe are about equivalent to the number of grains of sand on all the beaches on all the earth times 100,000. And just to give you some perspective of how far these stars are apart, in our galaxy alone, if you could go space shuttle speed, which is five miles per second, when the space shuttle used to orbit the Earth, it would travel at about 18,000 miles an hour or about five miles a second. If you would try and traverse from our star, the sun, to another star in our galaxy an average distance away, 30 trillion miles, if you could go five miles a second doing that, it would take you over 200,000 years to make the trip. In other words, if you got in the space shuttle at the time of Christ and started traveling from our star, the sun, to another star inside our galaxy an average distance away, you've been going five miles a second for 2,000 years, you would be less than one hundredth of the way there right now. And that's just between two stars in our galaxy. And as I mentioned, the number of stars in the entire universe are equivalent to the number of sand grains on all the beaches on 100,000 Earths. So when God says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, you should get the idea that there's a virtual infinite expanse between God's morality and our morality, between God's behavior and our behavior, between God's justice and our justice. Now, here's the problem. If God's justice is infinite, as demonstrated by looking to the heavens, just like his love is infinite and all his other attributes are infinite. If the heavens declare the glory of God and you see a virtual infinite expanse in the heavens, then you know that God's justice is infinite. Which means we're in trouble because we have been unjust, not just once, but repeatedly. So if he's the infinitely just being, by definition, he has to punish us. Otherwise, he wouldn't be infinitely just. So what's his solution? Well, thankfully, he's also infinitely loving. So what he has to do in order to save us, in order to not punish us for our injustices, is he has to punish an innocent substitute in our place. Where can he find an innocent substitute? Not in any one of us. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short, not just once, but thousands or millions of times. 
The only innocent substitute he can find is in himself. So what does he do? He adds humanity to his deity. He comes to earth. He lives the perfect life in our place. And then he allows the very creatures that rebelled against him, the unjust creatures that me and you are, and he allowed us to torture and kill him so he would take our punishment on himself. And then by trusting in that sacrifice that he himself has provided, he can then forgive us and then give us his righteousness. In other words, Jesus is the only way, not because it's an arbitrary claim. He doesn't just say, well, I'm God just because I said so. It's because there's no other way an infinitely just being can allow unjust creatures to go unpunished than to punish an innocent substitute in our place. This is why Paul says in Romans 3.26 that God remains just and is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's not an arbitrary claim. It's because there's no other way an infinitely just God can allow unjust creatures to go unpunished than to punish an innocent substitute in their place. That's why Jesus is the only way. And by the way, that's why works are never going to save anybody. Because if you've done any bad works, and we all have, doing good works does not erase the penalty that you deserve for those bad works. You can't go into a courtroom and say, if you're on trial for murder and it's proven you're the murderer, you can't go in the courtroom and say, well, yeah, I did murder that one guy, but look at all these good works I've done otherwise. And keep in mind, by the way, sure, I murdered that guy, but think of all the other people I haven't murdered. I mean, nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, you're right. You're free. No. I don't know where we get the idea that good works cancel bad works. Or that good works somehow take away any punishment you deserve for the evil deeds you've done. They don't. So Islam is not going to save you. Hinduism is not going to save you. Buddhism is not going to save you. Atheism is not going to save you. Pluralism is not going to save you. No other worldview is going to save you. Because you've been unjust and so have I. This is why Jesus is the only way. Now, this does continue to raise questions. Okay, we see philosophically and theologically and morally why Jesus is the only way. But what about those that have never heard? Is God unjust for not saving them? Well, first of all, let's just point out that God wants people to be saved more than we do. He's more loving than we are and more just than we are. Says it several times in the scriptures, he wants people to be saved. So, what about those that have never heard? First of all, let's point out that everyone has heard of God and a moral God through creation and conscience. Everyone knows that since there's a creation, there has to be a creator. And since there's a design, there has to be a designer. And since we have this moral law written on our heart, 
we haven't lived up to the moral demands that this creator and designer has put on us. So we do deserve punishment. Everybody knows that, whether they've heard of Jesus or not. This is called natural revelation. You don't need the Bible to know this. Now, this is sufficient to condemn people, but it's not sufficient to save people. Because as I just mentioned a minute ago, we're unjust. So an infinitely just being can't just wink at sin. He's got to punish it. So, how does God save those that have never, that have never heard of Jesus? Well, the Bible seems to say, it does say, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If people seek God through the light they have, which is natural revelation creation and conscience, God will get them the gospel so they can be saved. You may know that there are reports coming out, many reports coming out of the Muslim world, where Muslims who have been, they're in closed countries, they can't get the gospel. When they truly seek the truth of God, God gives them dreams and visions. So so much, this is so prevalent in some Muslim countries that there are billboards up saying, call this number if you've seen the man in the white robe, or if, I can't remember the exact content of these dreams, but they're very similar. And, and, and they put ads out. So people will call that number and then get the truth of who the true Jesus is. In fact, Nabil Qureshi himself, who was a Muslim, kind of a Muslim apologist and came to faith through the ministry of David Wood many years ago, had a a vision himself that showed him that Christianity was indeed true. Now, as you may know, Nabil died tragically in 2017, but he became a great apologist even though he died at the age of 33 and, of course, is with the Lord now. In fact, I wrote a, a column about this, Why Didn't God Heal Nabil Qureshi? You can see it on our website, crossexamined.org, also I think was on the stream, stream.org, a number of years ago, back in 2017. But I digress. Uh, people were saved in the Old Testament by just trusting in Yahweh, just trusting in the idea that there has to be a Savior coming. But it seems, the Bible seems to indicate anyway, that you have to know the name of Jesus in order to be saved. Is it philosophically possible you could be saved without knowing the name of Jesus? Of course. People prior to Jesus were saved without knowing the name of Jesus, so it's philosophically possible. However, the Bible seems to indicate that in this new dispensation, since Jesus has come, you have to know the name. So what do we do? We risk all to get people the gospel because we know people are saved by trusting in Jesus. Well, what about those that have never heard? What if we make all these efforts and God doesn't bring them a dream or a vision? And, and we don't get there with our evangelistic efforts, what then? What about all those people? Well, Dr. William Lane Craig has an interesting look at this. He says, we know that there are people who hear the gospel that don't believe it. Many of your friends and relatives have heard the gospel, they still don't believe it. It could be true, however, that people who never hear the gospel wouldn't have believed it anyway. In fact, he points out that Acts 17 seems to indicate that God has arranged matters in such a way that people live where they should live and when they should live where they should live so that they do find Jesus. Here's what Paul said on Mars Hill in Acts, as recorded in Acts 17. He says, 
uh, verse 26, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That God has so prearranged events that you might be living in a place where he, God knew you'd be open to the gospel and you, had a, you were in a place where you heard the gospel. But it could be that those who live in countries that, or in some areas of the world that don't hear the gospel, they live there. But even if they had heard the gospel, they wouldn't believe it anyway. Now, of course, the other option here is, well, this, this is just speculation that I'm giving here now. I think it's a possibility. But what is certainly true is that since God is the standard of justice and is justice as infinite, as high as the heavens are above the earth, and as we've already seen from our perspective, that's virtually infinite. Stars equivalent to sand grains on 100,000 Earths, and it'll take you over 200,000 years at five miles a second just, just to go between two of those stars in our galaxy. That God is infinitely just, and he's equally infinitely loving. So no matter what happens in the afterlife, no one is going to be treated unjustly. We're either going to get one of two things. We're either going to get justice, or we're going to get grace. No one's going to make it on their own. Because, as I mentioned earlier, we've all fallen short, we've all sinned, and good deeds don't erase bad deeds. The only way anyone is going to make it is on the sacrifice of Jesus. We know people do make it that way. That's why we risk all to get people the gospel. And we trust a loving God for people who don't hear the gospel as to their ultimate fate. But no matter what happens to anybody in the end, no one is ever going to be ever going to be able to say, God, I got a raw deal because God is infinitely just. And he's also infinitely loving. So everybody thinks their way is the right way. The only question is, what is the right way? And if the scriptures are true, and we've pointed out that they are, the one way is Jesus. And that's why this is the most important message we could bring people, because we're talking about eternity here. Jesus came into this world because we are sinners to save us. If we weren't sinners, Jesus is irrelevant. In fact, as Paul says in Galatians, he says, if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Christ died in vain. What's God sending his only son to die a brutal death if you could get to heaven by being good? Actually, you can get to heaven by being good. I should have mentioned this at the top of the show. You can. You just got to be perfect your whole life. Too late for me. How about you? Yeah, we wouldn't need a savior if we weren't fallen. In fact, you know what? You know what the story of Christianity is? Christianity is the answer to the problem of evil. Christianity is the answer to the sins we've committed. Christianity comes to right all wrongs. As is said in The Lord of the Rings, I think Frodo asks Gandalf. Is it true that everything evil will one day become untrue? I'm paraphrasing that. It's in our book, Hollywood Heroes. 
Check it out, by the way. If you love movies, you're going to love Hollywood heroes because all the major movie franchises of the past 40 years, the real successful ones, they all steal from, from Jesus, the story of Jesus. So check out that book, Hollywood Heroes. We have a whole section in there on Lord of the Rings. But the point here is, is that, is that Jesus comes into this world to right all wrongs. And we've committed the wrongs. He is the perfect sacrifice. And so by trusting in him, you can have your sins forgiven and you can be given his righteousness. There's no greater news than that. And by the way, we're going to be unpacking this further in a brand new online course on Galatians. It starts in, I think, October 23rd. If you take the premium version, you're, you're going to be with me on at least, I think, six occasions for live Q&A Zoom sessions. And as you know, Galatians is probably the first book Paul wrote, and he's fired up. Why? Because there are people in those churches in southern we now call southern turkey who were trying to distort the gospel they're trying to add to the gospel they're trying to say you still have to obey the old testament uh, dietary laws and circumcision you have to obey all that in addition to having faith in jesus in fact paul had to scold peter for that he said you can't add to the gospel don't reverse the gospel the gospel is freedom from all this because jesus paid it all jesus came to be our sacrifice. And there's no greater news than that. Anyway, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see the great book of Galatians. Hope you can join me for that verse-by-verse -verse study, 13 one-hour lessons. It's going to be great. Also, check out the course in logic that Shanda Fulbright and I will be teaching. Shanda will be doing the bulk of the teaching. It's for sixth to eighth graders. That's the premium version. But the uh, self-paced version Anybody of any age can take it. And if you haven't had a course in logic yet, you need to have a course in logic because logic makes life safe. Emotion may, may make life fun, but logic makes life safe. And you don't want to be, be deceived by all of the deceptive truth claims that are out there that are really aren't true. You want to know what the truth is, and this course will help you identify uh, what those deceptive claims are and how you can avoid them it's called train your brain check it out all right friends uh lord willing i will be back with here i, I always say lord willing why because james says don't say you're going to go here or there and do this or that only if the lord wills i could be gone tomorrow so could you but lord willing we'll be back here uh next week in fact uh, this coming weekend you don't want to miss the podcast because we're going to have skip heitzik on who is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. I just met him when we were out there for CIA, and he gave me one of his books, which I think is fantastic. It's the Bible from 30,000 feet. We're going to talk about it uh, on the next podcast, the next radio program. So I hope to see you there. God bless.